This morning is January 4th. It's 2004. It's our first service of the new year. The message this morning is going to be called On Duty. Now, the last thing we preached was about having big dreams, being able to have faith for your dreams, letting that faith rise up. And uh, we used Joseph as an example, and the message was called The Dreamer. I'm hoping this will build on that. And I think everybody knows we've got a construction project going on in the garage. That's part of our big dream for the new year. You know, in a time when other people might look and say, boy, the, that church is struggling or it's, it's small. Or, Jesus has given us big dreams. We're going to put 50 seats in it. You know, we're going to air condition it, sheetrock it, paint it. Uh, and God has supplied everything that we need along the way. We prayed over all of those items in the garage to be sold. Treadmill, table, baby, what else? Ping pong table. Only thing hasn't sold yet is a gym. And today's not over. So, I, I mean, and Bill witnessed it. People walked up, handed us a check, didn't even look at the stuff. They just, just took it, you know. Didn't, no haggling and nothing. God is awesome. He'll come through for us. The message this morning, I want... Uh, to build upon that. Now that you have these dreams and you're acquiring these dreams that God is building in you and you're beginning to let your faith rise, now's the time when you want to be spiritually minded. Do you remember the story of Gideon? Gideon has all of these men and God says, you, you've got too many to accomplish this. You know, I, I don't want you to have that many. He says, send everybody home that is scared. And he sent everybody home that's scared. Then he has... Uh, everybody who lays down by a stream to drink, just plunging their water in the face, they go home. He only keeps the ones that lap the water like a, like if you've ever seen a dog drink. When he drinks, the dog can look in any direction. His tongue goes down, gets the water, and brings it back up. Well, these men knelt by the water. Their hands made a cup, and they brought the water to their mouths. The idea was their head could be on a swivel, so to speak, looking in every direction, spiritually ready for battle. Well, that's what we want to be. And it's not a battle that I'm talking about this morning. You want to be on the lookout. You want to be on duty, looking for any opportunity to do what God has told you to do. And if he's called you to be an evangelist, a good place to start is in your neighborhood. If he's told you to go to Africa, a good place to start is at the local Winn-Dixie. You know, I mean, any any opportunity in your daily life to be on duty for God. And that, that's our topic this morning. When priests, like Old Testament priests, were on duty in the temple, they were in the presence of the Lord. Now, in, in the book of Luke, you see a man named Zechariah. You remember Zechariah? He's, he's John the Baptist's dad. Luke says that Zechariah was in a division that was on duty. And that's when the angel spoke to him. When we consider ourselves on duty, God has the opportunity to speak to us. We're at His beck and call, at His command. Well, a huge difference between the Old Testament or Levitical priesthood and this new priesthood that each one of you are a member of is you never go off duty. See, they were on duty when they were in the temple because that was close to the presence of God. But the New Testament declares you are the temple of God. So you never go off duty. This morning, as we go through this message, I want you to consider that you are always on duty for God. If you're the temple, if His presence is in you, 
Your division never goes off duty. 24 hours a day, you should be working for God. Have you all heard the term, I can't wait, or, or the phrase, can't wait to get in full-time ministry? Or I believe I'm called to full-time ministry? There is no other kind. Every Christian is called to full-time ministry. Now, that may not mean that you earn your full income from it, but ministry is a service. And all of you are in full-time service of the Lord. See, there, are, there, are, there is no opportunity. There are no part-time jobs in the kingdom. You're either fully on his team or you're not on his team at all. Does that make sense? You all with me there? Okay. You'll turn to Mark 1 and we're going to pick up there. This morning ought to be a real, really simple message, but I'm hoping that it, it will be encouraging. It was encouraging to me. Uh, even at the coffee shop this morning, I got a phone call. I was concerned about preaching a couple of, of these. And I'll just tell you, my, my, my faith uh, is big at times and small at times. And, you know, that's not something to be ashamed of. The disciples asked, Lord, help us. Help us in our unbelief. Increase our faith. We need to pray that. Faith is trust. And sometimes we forget that and we show that we don't trust the Lord enough. Well, he'll do things to help you increase your trust. What we're going to look at is as we're on duty, as we're priests that are on duty, Jesus calls us fishermen. He calls us to be fishermen. He teaches us how to fish. He shows us where to fish. And he provides for you while you're fishing. And Bill, this ought to sound familiar. Bill gave me a book this week that I read. That's something that I don't do a lot. I read a lot of books. But I don't usually take books from people to read. I, I pretty well have a, a library and I'm constantly buying books. It's Don't ever get offended if you give me a book and it sits on a shelf for a while. I read a lot. But this one, I don't know. I kept. I had in mind what, that I wanted to preach on a certain topic this morning. I had it in my bag while I was in the coffee shop, not having any idea what it was about. And I read the entire thing sitting there. And you know what? It was right on target with our message. But Jesus calls us to be fishermen who are on duty. He teaches us how to fish. He shows us where to fish. And then he provides for you while you're fishing. So we're going to look at that. In Mark 1, are you all there? Mark 1. We're going to look at the calling of the first disciples. Now, you guys are all disciples. I couldn't say that about everybody that were here if the crowd were larger, because I wouldn't know everybody. But I can say that I've witnessed each one of your lives. You're trying to imitate Jesus. You're learning about him for the purpose of being like him. You're willing to be disciplined by him, encouraged by him, instructed by him. That qualifies you to be disciples. Now, I don't mean this in the governmental sense of the church. There's a five-fold government in the church. Apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors, and evangelists. But in the sense that apostle means somebody who is sent forth, there's a day coming when some of you will transition from being discipled by this ministry to sent forth by this ministry to go do one of your own that will help, that will support. That's part of the vision of this church. And I want to share that with you all throughout our messages as we, we go through the year so that everybody gets it. Now, these guys uh, that we're going to read about were the first disciples that Jesus called. And you can read about this in most of the Synoptic Gospels, but I just chose Mark because of the way that he covered this. This is uh, Mark 1, verse 14. After John was put in prison, 
Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Do you know why Jesus went after John was placed in prison? And you, you won't be able to get your answers on the tape, so if you know, nod your head and we'll go from there. Okay. John's calling, John's purpose in life was to make a level path for the Messiah. He was to go preach repentance so that the people would be ready to receive Jesus. When Jesus called you to be a disciple, there had already been work done in your life by other people. See, I'm not the first Christian any of you met. Uh, I'm the first Christian some people have met, but not, not any of you. There had been work done by somebody like John the Baptist in your life. He had come along and they had sown seed in your life so that it would help you one day encounter and hear the call of Jesus. Now, can you all relate to what I'm saying? Sometimes you're the John the Baptist in some people's life. You may be at a, a water cooler at work or a coffee pot and your life be convicting to somebody. Not, not your words, just your life. And that gets their wheels to turning so that they're more able to receive the ministry of Jesus. That's what John the Baptist did. When people think of him, they think of a guy who was uh, just always uh, preaching condemnation. And that, that had a lot to do with his ministry, was bringing conviction. But the way that we carry on his ministry is through our life because the Spirit of God is in the world convicting the world of sin. He doesn't need our words to do it unless he tells you to speak. But that having been said, Jesus shows up after John the Baptist's ministry is, is completed. And here's his words. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Each of us are disciples of Jesus because we believe that there is a kingdom that is heavenly. And that that heavenly kingdom, the one where God's will is perfectly obeyed, is being established on earth. As we're taught to believe and obey the will of God on earth, His kingdom is advancing on earth. When Jesus says the time is coming and has come, or the time is now, when the kingdom of God is near, it's near because it's you're being presented with the opportunity to believe the king. And as you begin to believe him, to trust him and obey him, then the kingdom is advanced to your life. And you take it and advance it to somebody else's life. And in this way, the kingdom of God is said to be within you. You remember when Jesus said that? And it's spreading to other people. Watch what he says here. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. What kind of people did he call? He called fishermen. He called these people for a specific task, and it had something to do with their uh, background and their personalities already. A lot of times we have the idea that when we're called into the kingdom, everything about our life has to change. You know, if you were bold before, now you need to be meek. You know, if you were uh, talkative before, now you need to be quiet. Because we think everything about us is bad, and God has to totally make you a new person. The Bible's terms for new heaven, new earth, or you being a new creation... Don't speak of something that uh, ceases to exist and something totally new beginning. 
It speaks of a renovating process. See, when God called Bill, he knew Bill was a paper hanger. He, he knew Bill had certain talents in the natural. When he called you, Jim, he knew that you liked music, that you had certain talents that were there. When he called you, Mandy, he knew about your writing. You know, when he called each of the people, he knew about things that were in you. In fact, he gave you those desires and those talents for a reason. Now, sometimes we pick up our own unhealthy interest along the way. I'm certainly not speaking about those. You know, if you like to smoke pot, you know, that's not necessarily uh, something that God gave you in the world that you can use in the kingdom. You know? Now, to the pure, all things are pure. You might be able to use that desire to get high as a desire to get into the spirit. Okay, but use some common sense in what I'm saying. These people were of a profession that was useful to God. And he related to them, and our message is going to be related based on their profession. Here's something that is key about this, though. He called them because of their background, their personalities, but listen to what they did. Verse 18 says, at once they left their nets and followed him. You may be a very gifted musician. And you're called into the kingdom. But you leave your music behind. And you learn to pick up his music. See, sometimes we try to drag what was worldly in our gifting into the kingdom. It doesn't work that way. You leave your gifting. You Rather, you take your gifting, but you leave your worldly way, your tools, your nets behind while you do it. If you're on duty for God, the first thing that happens is you receive a call. God tells you, come with me, I'll make you fishers of men. Now, you're in the kingdom from the moment that you hear his voice and you obey it. Okay, that places you in the kingdom because you are believing the king. You're within his dominion. Now, you have the opportunity to hop out of the kingdom at any time that you persist in not obeying his voice. Now, faith is what saves you. Trust is what saves you. Sin does not disqualify you from the kingdom. All of us have sinned, and there's forgiveness for that. But showing no faith, no trust, and the product of that is disobedience, that can disqualify you. At the moment that you decide to stop following Jesus, you're like those seeds that were sown, and weeds choked them out, or the birds of the air came and picked them away, or they had shallow roots and the sun scorched them. So, Romans, the first chapter, tells us that your faith produces obedience. Well, these people believed Jesus and they followed him. That is a life of faith from beginning to end, as Romans says, or a life of trust from beginning to end. Each of you have heard Jesus and you are being obedient to that. Now, there are areas of your life that you may not be doing all that well in and other areas you're soaring in. But the overall progression of your life is trying to leave your nets, your worldly way of doing things behind and moving towards God's manner of fishing for men. That's your primary task. Now watch this. Because he called you to be a fisher of men and he's a good master, he doesn't ask you to do something that he doesn't show you how to do. Uh, we're going to turn to John 14. But while we're on that topic, he told me to sheetrock this garage. He told me to carpet it. He told me how many chairs. He told me all of those things, right? Now, the way he told me that was in a, a general impression. 
Where I had no vision for that before, suddenly I had vision for it. Where I had no confidence for it before, suddenly I had a confidence that I didn't have. And it's gotten stronger every day. The more I dwell on it, the more I think about it. I didn't know how to do a lot of the things that we're doing out there. But God has been faithful to show us. Even this morning, as I, I finished studying, I went through a, a, the Home Depot and there was something I didn't know how to do with the air conditioning system. I wasn't sure how to make sure there was enough airflow in that room. And I don't want y'all to be sweating while we're in there preaching. And I looked on a shelf and I saw something and it was quickened to me. You can use that and it will work in this way. See, this is how God is able to teach you all things. We think about that as scripture, as theology. God will teach you his theology. No, God can teach you to be an electrician if you need to. God can teach you to play a guitar if you need to. God can give you a totally new profession to reach new people if that's what he wants you to do. Oh, the halls are considering a new uh, profession in life. God is able to do that. In my life, he's done it many times. If you throw down your nets, which are your security blanket, because they're your tools that you brought into the kingdom, and you say, Lord, I know you can use my personality, I know you can use me, but I'm going to throw down my way of doing things, the old system, and follow you, then he'll give you everything that you need. There are a lot of things in the kingdom, and the men of God that I've been around were resourceful people. When they didn't know how to do something, they prayed, and either God showed them, or he brought somebody into their midst... I didn't know how to float out that sheetrock as well as it's being floated out there. But God brought Bill into our midst and he does know how. So God will add to you whatever you need as a church body, as a family, as an individual. He will do that. Okay, we're turning to John, John 14. First, he calls you to be fishermen and then he teaches you how to fish. God's not going to call you to do something and then just kind of stand back and go, all right, idiot, now figure it out and stand back and laugh at you. In fact, if you are following Jesus, think of it this way. Everything that you encounter, let me put this in more earthly terms. If you follow me in your car from here to Bush Intercontinental Airport, right? You're following me. You're behind me in the car. You're, you're watching where I go. You're changing lanes when I change lanes. You're looking for the blinker to turn, all of those things. What does it mean? It means that I encounter everything before you do. In fact, if you're going through something, I've already been through it. So is anything going to surprise me? Well, if you follow Jesus, every trial that you encounter, every difficulty that you encounter, Jesus has already passed through. He knew it was there. And he knew he told you to follow him. So he's going to teach you how to overcome it and how to be successful in it. In fact, he led you through it. See, sometimes we see these things as, oh, it's, it's the devil and he's, he's, you know, he's attacking me. Lord, save me. Lord, help. The Lord knew where the, he knows where the enemy is. He knows what he's leading you through. There's a time, in fact, in Exodus, you see, as the children of Israel were coming out of Egypt, the Lord took them not on the shortest route. He took them the long way around so that they wouldn't face war and turn back. There are times he will lead you through trouble. Other times he'll lead you around it. You just need to recognize it's his leading and treat it that way. Does that make sense? Now, he will show you what you need to know. And that's what we're going to pick up in John 14, verse 15. The idea being he calls you to be fishermen who are on duty. He teaches you how to fish. He will show you where to fish. And he will make provision for you for your calling, for fishing. 
John 14, 15, we're going to look at his teaching. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Friends, we have lived to the point where we've seen this come to pass. The Holy Spirit is no longer just in the world, convicting the world of sin and anointing people like Bezalel to build uh, a temple or King David to be a king. He is now actually dwelling within people as adopted sons of God, empowering them every day, speaking to them every day. And we've received that. He's not just with us. He's in us. Sometimes we need to remember when you're facing an obstacle, you don't know how to do something. You feel like God's called you, but all you're doing is hitting brick walls. You need to remember, whoa, wait a minute. The one that is in you is greater than the one that's out there. Quit treating God. Quit treating Jesus like he's in some far off place and you have to make contact with him. Quit treating it like you have to to wait months and months and months to contact Him. Or He's too far from you in the heavens you can't reach or in the depths where, where you can't descend to. The Bible says the Word of God is near you. It's in your mouth. Well, Jesus, His very Spirit, this counsel, this Spirit of Jesus, is in you. Most of the time, you don't need to wait for God to contact you. What you're waiting for is for you to deny the flesh to get your thoughts out of your mind so that you can hear Him speaking. See, we think of the Holy Spirit as coming from the outside in. And that's true. That happened on Pentecost. But really how you people who are filled with the Holy Spirit need to think of His presence in your life is like a spring. He wells up from within you because He's already here. The Bible says there's a deposit in you, in your innermost being. And I'm patting my belly here just as a as a sign... In here is the Holy Spirit, and He needs to well up, permeate your body so that you can hear His voice. What that requires is for your flesh to decrease and Him to increase. Have you ever been in a place and you realize, wow, my thoughts are carnal? You know, you're just in in the day and you think, wow, my thoughts are carnal. When you feel that, you need to turn those thoughts down, cast them down, and take up the thoughts of God. Begin to tell Jesus how wonderful He is, how beautiful He is. Begin to praise Him in your day. And you know what? You'll find yourself walking in the Spirit. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. You know, something that has got to be frustrating at times. And I know the Lord is full of mercy and patience and the Psalms talk about His mercy enduring forever and Psalm 119 must say it for, you know, a hundred times. But when He says He won't leave us as orphans and Matthew 28 says He's with us even to the end of the age, why do we cry out sometimes like we're forsaken? You know, Lord, here I am and, you know, I I don't feel Your presence. I don't hear Your voice. I, I don't see anything happening. Wah, wah, wah. Like an orphan baby. We need to walk in a trust for God, believing that He is with us always because His Word says He's with us always. We said, but but I sin. Yeah, and He is so awesome that He will dwell with you even when you sin. Otherwise, none of us would ever have His presence. But I wasn't obedient that time. Yeah, and He's right there witnessing to your spirit that you need to be obedient next time. 
I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. The basic revelation that Jesus brought the earth, and only some of us are receiving it, is a revelation of who the Father is. The Father could not be understood because God is everywhere. God is is uh, too big for a man to comprehend. It's why we had a priest system in the Old Testament. It's why uh, God spoke through the angel of the Lord and all of those things in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, what we have is God pouring His presence into a human being who He specially made for the purpose. So that the, the man was the perfect reflection of God. Somebody that you could look at and see, you could talk to and relate to. He was like you, but he perfectly represented God to where he's declared to be the visible image of the invisible God. He's a little chip off of the much bigger block, but he's perfect in every way. To where the Bible says Jesus is God overall. Well, he hasn't left us as orphans. He is revealing to us the will of the Father, the nature of the Father. Everything that Jesus did was to teach us about the Father. Because of that, when His Spirit came to reside in us, we now dwell with Jesus in us, us in Jesus, and Jesus in the Father. We participate in the divine nature of God. We participate in all that God is to the extent that we're able to deny the flesh and hear from God. So much so that he's going to move on and say, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, and the Bible makes that clear so that you understand it's not the disobedient one who's listening and talking to the Lord here, said, but Lord... Why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. The God of the universe has made his home with you by way of the Holy Spirit. So is he teaching you to fish? Absolutely. He's in you. He's showing you. That one over there, I want you to speak to them. He's giving you the words to say. In fact, the Bible goes on to say, He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Jesus, who went first, who's our elder brother, was not speaking his words to us. He was speaking the Father's. Now, when his spirit came to be in you, you're no longer speaking your words. You're speaking the words of Jesus, who was speaking the words of the Father. So you're speaking the words of God. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. He calls you to be fishermen. You leave your net, your worldly way of things behind you. And you follow Jesus in obedience. As you do that, will he teach you where to fish, how to fish? Absolutely. His spirit is in you to teach you all things and remind you of the things Jesus has said to you. 
So not only does he call you, not only does he teach you to fish by his spirit, he'll show you where to fish. Something that I've been dealing with lately is this idea that God does not have a specific place in mind for you. That's insane. And I, I really don't care who thinks that that's true. It, it is absolutely not. God is a big God. And whether or not it can be proven beyond certainty in the Scripture, it, it's totally beside the point. I believe I can. Somebody else will say, well, that's your interpretation. That's okay. God has ordered your footsteps. He can't do that if it doesn't matter where you are. You know, if you just do the will of God wherever you are and there is no will for where you are, that's that's insane. How would He order your footsteps? And whether Acts 17.26 is speaking of a larger nationalistic uh, destiny or an individual, individuals make up nations. God has got to have a specific time and place He wants you. We're people of destiny, people of appointment. If you can't accept that premise, you're going to have a hard time with all the other things in the Scripture. And I find that when people want to move away from that, it's when they're uncertain what the will of God is and they're trying to do their own will. Now, I'm not saying that as an indictment any specific group of people, no one person or family. What I'm saying is when you start to get vague with God to the point where you're saying, well, it really doesn't matter... That's because you're scared that you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. And so you don't want it to matter. I assure you it does. He will tell you where you are supposed to fish. Turn to John 21. This is just an illustration. This is not to prove that. I'm I'm not standing here as a lawyer today with uh, an arguing counsel trying to convince you of something. I'm just stating what the Spirit has revealed to me is truth with points that illustrate it. So if you later look at these scriptures and say, well, Eric said that, but that scripture doesn't prove this, I'm not trying to prove it. Either the Holy Ghost will witness to you what I'm saying is true, or He won't. And I don't need to do anything more than that. Jesus did not prove to people anything. He spoke the truth and it was their job to receive it as the truth or reject it as a lie. You do the same thing with what I'm speaking here. On the topic of God will show you, Jesus will show you where to fish. This is just a, a, to me, kind of a humorous illustration. This is John 21, starting verse 3. This is Peter speaking. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we will go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. When you go somewhere, I remember y'all met Buzz. Buzz told me a story about a man who decided he was going to plant a church. All right. In other words, he was called to plant a church, but he decided where he was going to plant it. He didn't wait for God to show him where to fish. Instead, he used that old net, the worldly way of doing things, his background. He researched, he used an almanac to find what was the fastest growing city in the United States with the least number of churches. Now, in the natural, does that sound like a good idea? Sure, we're going to go where there's more people and less churches to serve them. He failed, and he failed miserably, because that's not the way God does things. He will send you somewhere that it looks like it's impossible to start a church to show that he can do it. Peter's fished all night. And he's caught nothing because he was fishing in a manner of his choosing. Now, this is a natural example, but watch what happens when he gets direction from the Lord. 
Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. This is because he's some distance from them. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? You know what's funny about that? You know, it's possible that he didn't know, but I suspect that he did. He just wanted them to admit that all of their efforts had brought no fish. He did this for emphasis. No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. The Lord told them, now, were they close? Yeah, they were close. Their boat was in the right side. I mean, their boat was in the right place. They were where there was fish. They just were fishing on the wrong side of the boat. When they did, they were unable to hold the net in because of the large number of fish. Friends, God will call you to be a fisherman. He will teach you how to fish. And then He will show you where the fish are. Now, our boat right now may be parked in the right side. I mean, it might be parked in the right place. And perhaps we've been casting the net on the wrong side of the boat. I don't know that. It's my job to hear from God. And when He says, Eric, throw the net on the other side of the boat, do it. Now, I'm not suggesting that if you don't see somebody converted in your workplace in the first 30 days, that you say, I'm fishing in the wrong place. Perhaps you're just throwing the net on the wrong side of the boat. Does that make sense? This idea, well, if there are no sheep, there's no need for a shepherd. Now, there's a process where you call out to people. You witness to people. You give them the opportunity to hear the voice of the shepherd and respond to it. You know, I don't know of any real church of God, none that was really a church that God planted, where a pastor showed up the first Sunday morning and there were a thousand people there just waiting for him. You know, that's building on somebody else's foundation. Those are the hireling pastors that come in and the congregation is ready-made for them. And if the congregation doesn't like them, they'll throw them out and get another pastor. But what we do is we go to the area God says to go to. We go with His equipping, Him having taught us. And then we begin to preach and teach the Word of God and those who are our sheep will respond to it. And at some point, God may say, throw your net on the other side of the boat. He may even tell you to move your boat. But it's His job to tell you that. I can tell you, I will not be leaving this area until God tells me to. And I don't anticipate that being anytime soon. Our methods may change. There may be a time when I'm not standing here preaching, I'm out on a street corner. There may be a time I go door to door or send out mailers. And I've picked on that stuff in the past. You know, I have, I have totally, totally picked on the, what I considered worldly ways of church marketing. I'm telling you now that I don't care how humbling it is or whether I've called things worldly or picked on other churches for it, for things before. If Jesus tells me to throw my net in a different way than I'm throwing it, I will. I'm totally open to doing what God has called me to do. We need to. You remember our word for the new year was change. Our lives are changing. The way we've always done things is not necessarily the way that we're going to do things. The Lord spoke a similar word to this a few years ago to some friends of mine. He said, the churches today have square wheels. They cannot move when my spirit says move. They need a church with round wheels. One that if the Lord says, today I'm using the internet. You know, I used the radio in the 60s and 70s. I used the TV in the 50s and 60s. And today I'm using the Internet. He needs a church that will use the Internet, not cling to the old. Y'all remember that old song? 
somebody was singing they were just an old hippie and they didn't know what to do? Do they cling to the old or do they grab on to the new? Well, that's a worldly man's expression of feeling lost in life, not knowing what to do. In the kingdom, we need to make up our mind that we're following that cloud of the Lord, that uh, fire by night and cloud by day. Wherever he goes, we were called to be fishermen who followed him. And the Lord might do things differently tomorrow than he has today. Is he doing things differently today than he did yesterday? Sure. There was a time period when you couldn't make a service tape. You know, when you didn't have indoor electricity. You know, things are done differently because the Lord is uh, all about catching a large number of fish that are really made disciples. Now, I could care less about a crowd. I want people who are willing to be discipled so that they can then go disciple others. Jesus will be creative in the means that happens. I've seen people get filled with the Holy Ghost in church parking lots, in coffee houses, in Barnes and Nobles. Barnes and Noble, there is no S on that. I, I have seen the Lord moving. I even know people that were saved. Matthew Pirro's mother, God spoke to her one time in a restroom. I one time went and visited somebody in prison, and on a prison floor, uh, a restroom floor, about five feet from the urinals, God spoke to me as I was on my knees praying with some other Christians. The Lord will do things in ways that you might not have considered. So you need to be willing to hear the voice of God to throw the net on the other side. Now, first we said the Lord will call you. Caught my Bible. First we said the Lord will call you to be a fisherman. Secondly, He will teach you how to fish. Thirdly, He will show you where to fish. Now, here's the fourth one that is... This gets to be more touchy with people. We go... Well, if the Lord called me here, why am I struggling? Why am I struggling financially? All right, now, I'll be honest. You remember I said there are times my faith is sometimes small? The Lord has shown up. I mean, things that we needed to sell to, to build onto our church, we've sold. Uh, there are those of you in here that give so sacrificially, you'd give your last penny. I know that. This is not a plea for money. All right, And that's beneath the people of God anyway, to plea for money. The Lord commands people, and they do what the Lord commands, and that's it. So I don't want you to read anything into this. But this morning, I was hesitant to preach this next part because I shy away from that prosperity gospel so much because it's abused. It's so wrong. If you seek first the kingdom, everything you need will be added. Well, in that spirit, I was thinking this morning, well, there are things, there are times when it's only a very small percentage of the handful of people that are here that support this ministry. And I didn't know what to do about that. How do I preach this without that being weird? And you know what? As I was leaving the coffee shop thinking about that, I got a phone call. It was from my wife. Somebody called her this morning and said, The Lord spoke to us and we will be supporting you monthly. Now, these are people that don't even live in this state. All right, and I tell you what else, they don't go to King's Harvest either. So everybody get that out of your mind. I'm not taking King's Harvest as finance. But God is able to speak to people who live in another country to support your work of God here. You know, and you know what? It takes people of God to support something that they have no control over and are not involved in in any way other than support. That takes faith. That is bringing your offering to the altar and watching it burn up. You never get to see what's done with it. You know, and what missionaries tend to do when that happens is they write newsletters showing their progress and they're under this pressure always to show, well, this many people got saved and this is what we're doing so that people 
feel like their money is going towards something. When the, the shadow and type is the Old Testament altar, where the people saw it go somewhere, they saw it burned up right before their eyes. See, it doesn't matter. The obedience is not in what is done with the money. The obedience is in doing what God told you to do with it, which is give it away. <laughs> now, I'm not saying this to get money out of anybody in this room. Okay, that, I want you to understand that's not my purpose. My purpose is to encourage you that if God tells you to go somewhere, He will teach you how to reach the people there. And He will show you where the people are, and He will provide for you. He's providing for us. Watch this, Matthew 17, and I'm just sticking with our fishing theme here. And again, this is not to prove something, this is to illustrate it. Matthew 17, look at verse 24. Now, I want to give a little disclaimer here, okay? I'm not teaching on taxes at the moment. So although this scripture is about taxes, I'm not teaching on taxes. Do not anybody infer from this that you are not to pay your taxes, okay? That would be a whole other teaching, and I assure you, you do have to pay taxes. Verse 24, after Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax came to Peter and asked. Now, get this. They've arrived in Capernaum. How did they get there? They followed Jesus there. So, they have laid down their nets. They've become fishers of men. They're following Jesus. Jesus has shown them where they are supposed to be. And he's teaching them how to fish. That's the previous 17 chapters. Now, here comes the provision. This tax collector says... Doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, he replied. So if somebody asks you, do you have to pay taxes? Yes, Jesus paid them too. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon? He asked. From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own sons or from others? Now, why does Matthew say Jesus was the first to speak? What does that let you know? Every once in a while I want to point out these kind of things to you because it shows you the gifts of the Holy Spirit operating in Jesus' life. The way before Paul ever defined them in Corinthians 12. This is the word of knowledge. Jesus knew when Peter walked through the door that Peter had something on his mind. He knew this by the power of the Holy Spirit in the same way God can reveal those things to you. So the writer says, yeah, praise him baby. And baby's crying. So the writer says, Jesus was the first to speak. In other words, Peter didn't have to bring this up. Jesus already knew what obstacle he faced. This could be for a lot of reasons. Could be because the Holy Spirit spoke it first to Jesus and it's a word of knowledge. Or you know what else it could be? It could be that Jesus was walking. Peter was following him. Jesus saw the tax collector, kept on walking, and Peter stopped to talk to him. Okay? In either case, Jesus is well aware of your needs for provision. Verse 26. From others, Peter answered, then the sons are exempt. Now, I'll teach on that another time. I don't want to do that today. But watch this. Jesus said to him, but so that we may not offend them, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. How did Peter get the money to 
to pay for the things that he needed. He was called to be a fisherman. He was taught how to fish. He was shown where to fish. And the fish themselves provided for Peter's ministry. See, the New Testament teaches that you are to share all good things with your instructors. What this means is, if you receive spiritually from someone, you are to share and help supply their needs in the natural. All right, We are no longer under a, uh, a Levitical law that brings a curse if you don't do something. What we are under is a system of love, faith, and obedience. And the New Testament encourages people to give of their lives as a show of faith, showing that they value what is coming from a ministry, showing that they trust God with the portion of their income that is left over. See, that, that's what this is. The New Testament uh, example is that your finances are raised from performing your calling. And in this church, they are. Nobody's given uh, money to this ministry because I beg for it. This is one of the few times you've ever heard me talk about it. Nobody's given money to this ministry because I'm telling you, oh, doom, gloom, if you don't. You know, like some pastors will stand up and say, you are under a curse. Hogwash. If you're in Jesus, you are not under a curse. Not of any kind. I don't, I don't care what preacher says it. And they'll quote Malachi. You know, I tell you what. The Lord does say, test me in this matter, and He will bless you. But you are not under a curse for not tithing. What you may be is disobedient, but not a curse from God. And it's only the obedient that are blessed. But what you are, are to realize is, if God called you to a job, and it doesn't pay enough, but He called you to that job, He will raise up another source to uh, accommodate your household needs. See, people in here are looking for jobs right now. Now, it may be that the job meets every one of your needs. What I'm saying is whatever he calls you to do, he will find a source of provision for you. Elijah is a great example of this. Elijah, Elijah shuts up the heavens so that it doesn't rain. What's God tell him to do? I want you to go to a brook and there you will be provided for. It's what that whole booklet was about. Bill and I were talking about. There, that brook was his place of provision because God called him to it. He provided for him in that place. He sent in ravens. Now, you know what's interesting about that? Jews weren't allowed to touch ravens. They were unclean birds. God may use strange sources to bring you income. He may bring you uh, your daily bread through a, a Mormon business that you work for. You know? He, he may supply your needs. i got a friend who is adopting. It's a Catholic charity that is helping him raise the money for it. Friends, that's a raven bringing him provision. Sometimes unclean things do good works. I mean, that's just... And you know what? We can't be too proud to accept it. The hardest thing I've ever done in my life was the very first time to accept, accept somebody's tithe. You know? Didn't mean I was indigent. I may not even have needed it. That was totally beside the point. They needed to give it because it's what God told them to do. Does that make sense? All right, so we never need to be ashamed of that. And what you need to know about this as we move on is God has called you to fish. He is teaching you how to fish. He is showing you where to fish, and He will provide for you whatever you need, and it will come from performing your calling. Peter's calling was to fish, so it was from fishing that his finances showed up. If He's called you to be an occupational therapist, and that is your calling, 
then your your finances should come from that. If he's called you to be a preacher, your finances should come from that. Now, none of these things are laws, and I want you to understand that. I'm not preaching to you a formula. There were, as much as this is absolutely true, there were times where Paul, although he was called to be an apostle, also made tents to supplement his income. There were other times when one church he left behind supported him while he was teaching another church because he didn't want to be a burden to them. Their faith wasn't there yet, and maybe their means weren't there. Those people on the TV set will tell you, you send your last dime. If you don't have it, Send it anyway and God will send you more. I'm telling you, don't do that. You hear from God, ask God to supply you seed and sow it. But when he provides it, you do what he said with it. And if he tells you to spend your last dime, you do that. But only if he tells you. Don't you give away. Don't you be stupid. Don't don't give your last $10 in your checking account instead of buying formula for your baby to a ministry if God did not tell you to do that. Because it might take a month for God to raise up somebody who's faithful to send you back some money. So you make sure that you hear from God. See, I'm neither begging for money nor uh, nor turning it away. I'm trying to teach you a balance in this. And it should come from performing your calling. Does that make sense? Okay, we're going to look at an example of all of these things working here. Turn to Acts 8, and we're going to close with this. And I'm going to be on time. I'm going to preach a message that lasts only 60 minutes. That, is, that in itself is a miracle. Are you all getting anything out of this? Is this encouraging at all? I've seen this work a couple ways. okay? And I, I'm going to be brutally honest here, probably at my own expense, about those finances. And I didn't intend to spend a lot of time on it, but I feel like I need to. There have been times in my life where I had nothing, and I gave away the nothing that I had. And I'd had to do that because God was working in me a spirit of sacrifice. He was showing me how to sacrifice that He could reward me. How to trust Him to provide and not lean on my own arm. There have been other times where I had just a little bit, and it was my desire to give it away because I had seen how this worked in the past. And He said, no, you will need that. Now, you probably won't hear that just everywhere. I'm telling you, there is a balance in the spiritual realm. I also want to discourage something. Don't decide what you give to this ministry or any other using a calculator. Don't, don't you do it. You know, it is a wrong spirit, a wrong attitude to figure out a financial gift down to the penny based on some screwy percentage. The Old Testament is a shadow in type. That every tenth animal under the rod, the tenth, all of those things were a shadow and type teaching the people God will do more with nine tenths of your income than you can do with ten tenths. But don't forget, it didn't stop there. They also weren't allowed to plant on the seventh year. They also had to forgive everybody's debts on the fiftieth year. You know, there were a lot of areas to teach this. So you don't get out a calculator and then argue over whether it's gross or net and figure out your tithe. Okay? You don't do that. Instead, you pray and what you've purposed in your heart is what you give. That's how Paul teaches it. Okay? And it's conditioned on according to your means. Now, God will stretch you beyond your means sometimes. And he'll. you may be able to give $1,000 one day, but him tell you, no, only give $100. There's something else I have in mind for that. I'm telling you, in this church, you have complete freedom for that. You're not under a burden to... You know, I will not be taking your W-2s and going, wow, 
This was not 10%. This was 9.5%. Where's the other 0.5%? I don't care who preaches it. That is not correct. That is not the New Testament shadow and type. And what you need to know that I have strayed, strayed away from the subject is that if God called you, He does provide for you. And He'll use ravens. He'll use fish. He even used a worm one time. Think about this. And this was in that book I read this morning. Herod was persecuting the church of God. And God struck him with an angel and used a worm to eat him. You know, that worm was doing God's work, though. Think about the worm in Jonah. You know, God wanted a bush taken down. The worm ate the bush. The, the Bible actually says the Lord appointed a worm. He'll use whatever it takes to get you what you need. I've talked a lot about money, but you know what else? It's not just money. As I mentioned earlier, like sheetrocking, I didn't know how to do some of this. He provided me what I needed. Somebody who did. He will show you what you need, and I'm hoping this is encouraging to you. Surely I'm not uh, some fisher of funds. I'm a fisher of men. I don't want your money. I want your lives. I appreciate that, brother. It's hard for me to even speak on this. But you know what? God did speak to me a while back, and it just hasn't seemed right. And I didn't plan to do it this morning. I've spent more time on it than I wanted. And he, I talked with Jennifer about it. He said, the people need to be taught what it is and how this works so that people aren't disobedient for a lack of knowledge in an area. Because that's my fault, if you are. It's my fault. See, if if you don't know how to hear from God and share of your life, finances included, because you weren't taught because a preacher was scared to speak on money, shame on the preacher. If you're being extorted by a preacher who's trying to hold the blessings of God from you until you give a certain amount, shame on the preacher. Ultimately, the people just reflect the preacher's heart. You know, you guys will reflect me if I teach you well. Otherwise, you won't stay because you'll get sick of hearing what I have to say. That's kind of like people's children reflect them. Somebody says, oh, well, those are the neatest people and their kids are just rotten. Well, that reflects on them. I mean, children are a reflection of their parents. Sheep are a reflection of their pastor. Okay, we're in Acts 8. We're going to close with this. This is under the idea of being on duty. God calling you to be a fisherman. You laying down your way of doing it, picking up his. Him teaching you how to fish. Him showing you where to fish, what side of the boat to cast your net on. Him providing for you while you're fishing because you're on duty. Here it is. It's Acts 8. This has been one of my favorite scenarios for a long time. Verse 26. We're going to be talking about Philip and the Ethiopian. I don't believe that. That's the devil. Uh, Throw that phone in the back room or something. Thank you. I think that's the wrong phone. Thank you. I appreciate y'all holding your attention up here while we're interrupted with phone calls. I turned off my cell phone. I wouldn't encourage y'all anytime you come in here when the service starts, turn off your cell phone. That one happened to be my wife's and we'll forgive her this time. Okay. Um, all right. Philip in the Ethiopian eunuch. Now get this. It says, now, this is verse 26, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to that road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Philip's already been called as a, a fisherman. In fact, he's an evangelist. He's in the fivefold ministry of the church as a fisherman, an evangelist. Is God telling him where to fish? Absolutely. He's been trained already, spent time with the apostles, and now he's being told where to go. So he started out on his way. 
He was obedient to that, showing himself to be in the kingdom and the kingdom working in his life. He met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. One reason that that's neat is Candace is a historical figure. And so this is another instance of the Bible being able to be corroborated with history. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. To worship. Now, Ethiopians were not usually Jews. I mean, these are not a Semitic people. But this guy apparently was a Jewish proselyte. In other words, he had heard about this God, Yahweh, and he was traveling to Jerusalem to worship. He, he wanted to be in contact with Yahweh. Have you ever wondered, well, what about those Jews who never heard about Jesus? Kind of like people wonder today, what about those people on islands that never heard? If you were a Jew in the nation of Israel and somehow or another, Jesus' ministry escaped you, but you loved the Lord, the Lord will make sure that you get the truth. This guy wasn't a, a blood Jew. He was a proselyte. And God made sure that he got the message. Cornelius is another one. If your heart is right, if you're seeking truth, you will always find it. That doesn't matter whether you're on a desert island or you're in the middle of Buddhist China. God is able to get the truth to anyone that wants it. So there is no scenario. Anytime somebody tries to trap you in that, well, what about those that never heard? There is not a human being that has ever been on this planet that never had the opportunity to receive Jesus in some form or fashion because the creation witnesses, God speaks through dreams and visions, He can send an angel. But that does not alleviate you of your responsibility to going where the fish are because His chosen method is on the shoulders of men. That's a whole other message, but here we go. He's on his way to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. You think God had a specific time and place where he wanted Philip? This guy's on his way back from worshiping. He's probably reflecting on his experience and he's reading a passage of Isaiah about Jesus. Do you think it didn't matter where Philip was? God had no real place for him to fish? No, not only did he have a specific place, he had a specific time for him to be there. Get this, this is beautiful. I want you to take this attitude to yourself. It's verse 30, or I'm sorry, 29. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near. How did Jesus communicate with Philip? Through the Holy Spirit, same way he communicates with you. And what was Philip's reaction? Verse 30. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Now, if Philip had not been trained to be obedient, if his trust for God had not been such that when he heard the voice of God, he was immediately Immediately obedient, he wouldn't have ran. He might have walked. He might have dilly-dallied. He might have debated with himself about whether or not that really was God and if God still speaks today. And if God does still speak today, would God tell me He wanted me to be in a certain place? See, the devil's right there resisting everything that you do, but you must learn to hear your shepherd, your chief shepherd's voice, the Holy Spirit, and do what he says do. And I can assure you, you will meet resistance every time. But you learn to hear His voice, tune your voice to His command, and then when He says move, you run to do it. You know why? Because as Philip ran to him, he got there in time to hear the guy reading Isaiah. If he had debated with God for ten minutes and then went, he might not have heard that. He might have missed his opportunity. 
He might have missed his appointment of destiny. See, sometimes we reason God right out of the picture. Well, God would never do this because of this and this and this and this and this and this. And all we've done is we've invited the devil into our mind to debate with the Spirit of God. And I, I tell you the truth. Once you get to that point, it's very hard to hear the Spirit of God because he's a gentleman and he does not force your will. But the devil is no gentleman and he forces himself upon you. Once those two enter into the room that is your mind for a debate, you almost can't hear the Spirit of God. You need never let it get that far. You hear the Spirit and then when another thought creeps in, you throw it out. You don't entertain it. Quit having conversations with yourself. Self's a bad guy. He's the part of you that's lost. He's your flesh. And he's still controlled by the enemy. You need to be spiritual people. When you hear the Spirit of God say something, run to do it. And I keep saying this, but you do it with a reckless abandonment. So what of the consequences? You know, the first thing that hit Philip's mind could have been, if I go over there, this guy's a royal official. His guard might think I'm trying to rob him and stab me. After all, he's a treasurer. He might have thought, this guy's a Gentile. Look at him, he's black. You know, I mean, there's no telling what he might have thought. But the bottom line is, whatever it was, he cast it down. So all you hear is that he was obedient. He ran to do the will of God. And to what effect? Let's see. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked? <laughs> I mean, think about this. Has he even spoken to the guy? No, he heard God tell him to run over there. So he runs over there. He hears the guy reading Isaiah. This is a royal official. And humble little Philip says, Hey, do you understand what you're reading? Can you imagine running up to a presidential motorcade, tapping on the window, only to see George Bush reading the book of Isaiah? And you say, Hey, buddy, you understand what you're reading? I have a friend, Sarah Beth uh, Coles. I want to call her Wellburn. That was her maiden name. She was on a plane. When she was on the plane, she's walking through first class. She looked over and Emmett Smith is there. Emmett Smith was reading the Bible. He's reading from Romans 8. Now, I'm not endorsing Emmett Smith. I don't know a thing about his life. I heard he became a Christian. That's it. And I, I know her testimony. You know what she did? She looked down. She said, do you understand what you're reading? And uh, he said, well, uh, kind of. I, I think so. What she wanted to get to is, are you spirit-filled? You know? She said, my husband's right here. He's a spirit-filled pastor. He can help you if you want it. You know, that takes boldness, doesn't it? Now, I don't know whether the Lord told her to do that or not. She knows. I don't know. And it's not my place to judge her because she's another man's servant. She's, she's the Lord's servant. We're so quick to stand back and say, oh, the Lord didn't tell them to do that and they did tell them to do that based on what we view as success. What if that was John the Baptist's ministry in his life? What if that was just preparing the way for somebody else to explain what that means? You don't know. Quit judging what you see by the outward appearance. Somebody comes here and looks and says, oh, there's only a handful. And they make a, a judgment by the outward appearance. They don't have the right. I know what God told me. And I hate to be so bold and in your face about it, but I know what God said to me and I don't care a thing about what other people think. It hurts sometimes. Sometimes it's discouraging. I think it's funny. Somebody leaves here with the report that we're discouraged and they were the discouragement. You know, that's, that's funny. You know, I, I tell you what, I want to support the work of God wherever I see it. And that should be everybody's heart. Now, I'm saying those things. I love everybody that's ever come here. Okay? I wouldn't let them in this place if I didn't love them. 
So don't y'all read anything bad into that. What I'm trying to say is we're way too quick to go, oh, Lakewood, $75 million, that can't be God. Why? How do I know what God spoke to him? I know it's not what God told me. That didn't make it wrong for them. You know, we're so critical of the churches around us sometimes. God wouldn't tell him to run up there. How undignified is that? He's, and he's talking to an Ethiopian eunuch? Surely God would have raised up another Ethiopian to witness to it. You know? They're different. That's insane. Only you know what God's spoken to you. And God does put ministry leaders above you to help you. Not to control you. To help you. See, there's nobody in my life that has the right to tell me what God has and has not told me. And I'll tell you right now, I reject every bit of it. You're free to prophesy anything that you think is God to me. But it's up to me whether or not I accept that and reply to it. Go ahead. Oh, I appreciate that. Now get this. Somebody can tell you, Bill, you're supposed to marry a girl three streets down. Alright? And they may mean well. But it is your job to hear from God and see whether that's true. Somebody may have prophesied to you, you're supposed to go to such and such a place and do such and such a thing. They're not God to you. See, it is your responsibility to hear from God. Everybody else is encouraged when along the way. The level of respect you show them should depend upon the position they're in in your life. I would hope that my counsel to you means more than a stranger on the street. But it's not anything more than counsel. I'm not controlling you. There have been many times I've told each one of you to do things that you didn't do. That doesn't mean that we throw each other away. doesn't mean we walk away mad at each other. It just means you chose not to accept it and you bear the consequences. I might have been wrong or I might have been right, but I'm trying to hear from God and I'm trying to help you. Well, when other people tell me things, I realize they're trying to be sweet. They're trying to hear from God and help me. But it's my responsibility to hear from God. Nobody else's. And I tell you what, the only head of this church is Jesus. And that's the only way it will ever be. I will never have a board that I answer to. I'll have a board that helps me, never one that I answer to. And there will never be another man that I subjugate the calling of this church to. No matter what. I don't care how rich, how called, how anything. Will not happen. And you know what? The same thing should be true in your lives. Nobody is the Pope to you. Nobody speaks to you infallibly. This is what the will of God is for your life and you must do it or you're excommunicated. That's bogus. There are times in the Bible the most anointed men of God got it wrong. Can you believe that? Paul said this journey will end in loss of life and loss of cargo at the end of Acts. It did not end in loss of life. He said it. He said, well, God's will change. Maybe it did. I don't know. But he prophesied it. Should a bunch of people run out and go cut the throats because they were going to die anyway? I've had people prophesy to me all kind of things. I was going to start a college in Lafayette. I was going to have a ministry in New Iberia. I was going to play a guitar. I've had people prophesy all kind of crazy things to me. Some of it may yet happen. I'm not treating it with contempt. But I will not live my life by it. It's my job to hear from God. It's my job to do that, not to pawn it off on some other human being to hear from God for me. We need to stand up and be men and women of God. Hear the voice of God. When He says go, you go. When somebody else says go, you take it under advisement. I can show you in Acts 19 where every man of God around Paul did their best to persuade him not to go to Jerusalem. Do you know what the problem with that is? Jesus told him to go to Jerusalem. So why did they all tell him not to? They were hearing from God. Agabus came up and said, your hands are going to be bound. 
Was that true? Yes, it was. Did he hear it from God? Yes, he did. The conclusion he drew from it was wrong, though. That didn't mean Paul wasn't supposed to go. It meant Agabus didn't want him to go. When I prophesied to you, I will do my best to hear from God for you. I would be lying if I didn't say that my will gets in there occasionally. If I knew that, obviously I'd cut it out. I would try not to. We don't throw out the baby with the bathwater, though. That doesn't mean we quit prophesying. doesn't mean we treat it with contempt. It just means that we recognize that. All right, back to this. That was a rabbit, but it was a spirit-led rabbit. And thank you for that testimony about the radiance of God. I need all the help I can get. Then Philip ran up to a chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Oh, I'm going over an hour. I've got to hurry. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he, get this, invited Philip to come up and sit with him. I only have authority in your life to the extent that you allow me to. If you invite me to teach you, I'll teach you. If you invite my instruction, I'll give you my instruction. If it's not invited and not welcomed, I will withhold it. To the, the eunuch was reading this passage of Scripture. And then y'all, y'all know the rest of the story. I need to close here. But the, the eunuch gets Isaiah under, uh, explained to him. He gets baptized. He's a convert. And then the Spirit picks up Philip and puts him somewhere else. He casts the net on the other side of the boat. In your lives, you need to be on duty. You need to be looking like Gideon's men around you all of the time. Not concerned with your provision. Not just trying to bury your face in water to get enough to drink. You need to be looking about you to see what God might have you do. You need to be realized you're called to be a fisherman. You are trained to be a fisherman. You will be shown where and when to fish. And you'll be provided for as a fisherman. This is your calling. When you go to the grocery store, somebody gave me a testimony today. You need to walk in the grocery store thinking, Lord, is there anybody in here that you might have me talk to? Is there somebody in here I could be a blessing to? Is there somebody in here I might give this $3 in my pocket to? Somebody that needs it? Lord, what would you have me do? He will speak to you and He will show you. If He doesn't, don't worry about it. You go on about your business, but you always be prepared. All the rest of that was just lanyard. We're people on duty. I love you. I love Jesus with all my heart. We're going to close this here so I can fit it on a CD. Probably mail it to some people. And I encourage you to pray for this work as we finish it and we do what God's calling us to do. I spent hundreds of dollars already back there in that garage because I believe Jesus told me to do it. That takes a sacrifice. It would be a whole lot easier for me to put that in a bank. You know, I'm hoping one day to be fully supported by this ministry. And I'm spending every dime we have all of the time. That's because I believe it's what God told me to do. Throughout the week, y'all pray for the Piros. Okay, they're, they're trying to find the strength to do what God's told them to do, and in the time God tells them to do it. We believe it's very soon. They believe it's very soon. But, you know, there's not always a lot of support for that kind of thing. So y'all bathe them in prayer, and we're going to close here. In the name of Jesus.